0: Mr. President, my name is Denise Ho, singer and democracy activist from Hong Kong.
1: Part of what feminism has always offered to men, if they embraced it as a political ethic, is a way back to themselves, and therefore a way back to love. Being gay does not relieve you from the burden of patriarchal masculinity. It may, in fact, intensify
2: Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucie Chappelle. Senegal's legislature nixes tougher anti queer laws, lesbian canto pop star Denise Ho raided with Hong Kong indie press, and a ringing remembrance for bell hooks. Those stories and more this week, now that you've found This Way Out.
3: I'm John Dyer V. And I'm Sarah Montague With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the three weeks ending January 8, 2022. Queer people in Senegal are exhaling now that a bill to increase penalties for same-gender sex has been rejected by lawmakers. The legislation would have even outlawed advocacy for LGBTQ rights. In fact, just being queer would have become a crime. Convictions for private consensual adult same-gender sex in the West African nation are already punished by up to five years in prison and fines equivalent to thousands of U.S. dollars. The Bureau of the National Assembly decides whether or not a proposed law should be considered by the full unicameral legislature. Its members announced on January 4th that the existing legislation is sufficiently clear and the resultant penalties are severe. Human Rights Watch has been just one global advocacy group to report that arrests and prosecutions for so-called acts against nature in Senegal have risen sharply during the past decade. Researcher Deepika Knott noted, people live in constant fear of losing their jobs, their families, their livelihoods, their freedom, and their very lives because they are seen as different. Lawmakers in neighboring Ghana are still considering their version of amplified anti-queer legislation. The North African nation of Tunisia also
4: punishes same-gender sex. Article 230 is a remnant of French colonial rule that punishes consensual adult gay or lesbian sex acts with up to three years in prison. Two men convicted under the statute went to the nation's top court to challenge it in mid-December. Attorney Hesina Daraji called the convictions they are asking the court to overturn a cruel sentence that violates international standards. She charged that the men were found guilty because they refused to undergo anal exams to determine if they had engaged in homosexual acts. Such exams have been medically debunked and are defined by some human rights groups as torture. The two men spent more than a year in prison after their July 2020 convictions. Activists are applauding the courage it took to seek to have them overturned, even after they were released. Bata Babu of the LGBTQ rights group Dimash points out that they've paid a price since they now have no work and nowhere to live. His group maintains that more than 2,600 people have been jailed under Tunisia's Article 230 since 2008, and that some 150
3: people convicted of the crime are behind bars today. The UK government made 2022 a truly new year for men convicted under the old laws criminalizing gay sex. Until now, only men convicted of nine specific civil statutes were eligible for pardons. The criteria now include any repealed or abolished civilian or military offense imposed on someone purely for or due to consensual homosexual activity. The new plan expands the eligibility for pardons under Turing's Law, enacted in 2017. It was named for World War II Nazi code-breaking hero Alan Turing. The father of the modern-day computer was convicted under laws against buggery and gross indecency in 1952, and committed suicide a few years after choosing chemical castration over a prison term. Turing's law granted pardons to surviving and deceased convicts, but did not cover related laws, such as solicitation of homosexual acts. Activity that's still illegal today is not included and anyone else involved must have been at least 16 years of age. Pardoned men can also have their criminal records expunged. Israel begins
4: the new year with the opening of surrogacy services to LGBTQ people and single men. Out and proud Health Minister Nitsan Horowitz announced the extension of the services already available to heterosexual women. It came in response to a July 2021 Israeli Supreme Court ruling ordering the government to allow queer couples and single men to have a child via surrogacy. The High Court gave the government six months to implement its decision. Same-gender couples in Israel have more obstacles to overcome in trying to form families than heterosexual couples. There is no civil marriage. All marriages must be conducted by religious authorities, and no mainstream faith in Israel recognizes lesbian and gay couples. Until now, queer couples and single men had to hire expensive surrogates outside the country if they wanted to have a child that way.
3: The new surrogacy policy takes effect on January 11th. A family court in Taiwan has approved a gay man's adoption of his husband's child for the first time. One of the men adopted the baby girl before the couple married. On December 25th, a court in the southern city of Gao Xiong allowed the spouse to become the legal guardian of his husband's adopted daughter. The ruling was only made public late this week. Activists are hailing the decision, but sobered by the fact that it sets no legal precedent. They're calling on the government of the only Asian nation to open civil marriage to same-gender couples to give those couples the same adoption rights as heterosexuals. Jennifer Liu of the Taiwan Equality Campaign says that her group has heard from more than 500 queer families seeking to adopt a partner's children. Queer activists
4: in Cuba are hoping that the second time will be the charm in their efforts to secure marriage equality. The National Assembly unanimously approved a revised family code on December 21st that specifically defines civil marriage as the voluntary union of two people with legal aptitude for it in order to live life in common on the basis of affection and love. Equality advocates are applauding additional language that protects all expressions of family diversity and each person's right to build a family in coherence with the Constitution and its principles of equity, non discrimination, and human dignity. The proposed new family code now enters a period of public consultation. Then there's another vote in Parliament, followed by voter approval in a public referendum, and final formal approval in the Assembly. Activists are hoping for a successful conclusion sometime this year. Cuban lawmakers included marriage equality in a new constitution in 2018. The politically powerful Roman Catholic Church of Cuba and other right-wing forces got that provision pulled before the voter referendum which subsequently approved the new constitution. It comes as no surprise that the church continues to call on its followers to voice their support for the marriage of men
3: and women. Finally, one of India's most popular matchmaking websites is opening its services to marriage-seeking LGBTQ people. Shadi.com founder and CEO Anupam Mittal told Business Insider in late December, We see ourselves as a platform for companionship and matchmaking. That could mean for different markets, different regions, different countries, different sexes. Mittal stressed that his company serves people interested in finding a compatible companion, not just casual dating. He said, That's not a business we are in or we want to be in. The announcement comes four years after India's Supreme Court decriminalized same-gender sex. However, queer couples' access to civil marriage is not as easy as accessing love online. There are six active lawsuits in Indian courts filed by couples demanding the right to wed. Politically conservative opponents have condemned the Shadi.com announcement as implicit support for marriage equality. While some LGBTQ activists think it's too implicit. They say that it would mean a lot more if the company not only sold its business services to queer couples, but also vocally supported civil marriage equality. That's
4: Newswrap, Global Queer News with Attitude for the three weeks ending January eighth, twenty twenty two. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community
3: is a strong community. NewsRap is written by Greg Gordon. Edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Help keep us
4: in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast
3: and much more. And you can read the transcript and listen to NewsRap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm John Dyer V. Stay healthy! And I'm Sarah Montague. Stay safe.
1: You know, people say to me, we need fathers in the home. And I say, honey, we need loving fathers. Because if we have violent, abusive, patriarchal fathers in the home, we're not going to produce healthy boys.
2: Unpacking love and patriarchy later in the program. In
1: these
0: very, very, very difficult and exhausting times in Hong Kong, uh, for us all to be able to take up our own roles I think that is something that we
2: need to insist on, yeah? Yes. Taking up her own role got lesbian canto pop star Denise Ho arrested by Hong Kong's National Security Police on December 29th. Ho was born and is based in the semi-autonomous region now, but she spent her formative years and holds citizenship in Canada. She told the CBC...
0: For me, Canada is, you know, another home. So uh, I think what I have learned there, I am applying it right now here in Hong Kong.
2: Some of what she learned was the value of a free press. Ho is a former board member of Stand News, one of the region's last surviving independent news outlets. She was taken from her home during a massive raid on the website's office and was detained along with five of its journalists for allegedly conspiring to publish seditious material. Ho came out at Hong Kong Pride in 2012, the region's first mainstream female singer to do so. In 2014, she became a vocal presence in the Democratic Umbrella Movement, even as government censorship silenced her musical presence. Ho really became a thorn in Beijing's side when she spoke to the UN Human Rights Council in 2019. UN Watch provided some of her testimony from the Geneva meeting and her comments to the Associated Press. Mr. President, my name is Denise Ho, singer and democracy activist from Hong
0: Kong. The Vienna Declaration guarantees democracy and human rights. Yet in Hong Kong today, these are under serious attack. Last month, two million people walked in peaceful protests, fighting an extradition bill that would remove the firewall protecting Hong Kong from interference of the Chinese government. Police shot rubber bullets and 150 tear gas bombs against unarmed protesters. Sorry, there is a point of water. I give the floor to China. I'm asking for the floor to raise a point of order. The Hong Kong Special Administrative Region is a part of the People's Republic of China. Just now, this so-called delegate of the NGO, in her speech, mentioned Hong Kong side by side with China. This is an affront to the principle of Wang China and the principle of the UN Charter. I'd like to ask you, Mr. President, to urge her to use standardized UN formulation when referring to places. I remind speakers to adhere
2: to the well-established principles of the United Nations, including the principles of the United Nations Charter. And I give the floor back to the speaker.
0: Dozens were arrested. Four people committed suicide as an ultimate cry of despair. This anger of Hong Kong has followed years of deceitful promises. Since the handover, we saw our autonomy slowly eroded. Disqualification of six lawmakers, kidnappings of booksellers and activists jailed, are proof of China's tightening grip. Real universal suffrage is still non-existent. With the Chief Executive Officer appointed and controlled by Beijing, China is preventing our democracy at all costs. Mr. President, the Sino-British Joint Declaration is a binding treaty registered with the UN. Yet after only 22 years, China is denying its obligations. The one country, two systems is nearing its death. Protests are still ongoing. There is a point you of
2: order. I give the floor to China.
0: I'd like to again raise a point of order. Just now the Speaker has made unfounded allegations to the system of one country, two systems. We categorically reject this. We'd like to ask you to remind her not to use abusive language in her speech.
2: I've asked the Speaker to take note of the points made by China. Uh, while I give back to her, uh, the floor to her.
0: Will the United Nations convene an urgent session to protect the people of Hong Kong? Given its abuses, will the UN remove China from this Human Rights Council? Thank you.
2: Thank you. I give the floor to China.
0: On 1st of July, some extreme and radical individuals used extreme violence to attack the legislative building. Using the so-called freedom of speech or assembly to justify violence is never tenable. I don't understand why China can still have a seat in here where they do not respect human rights not only in Hong Kong but also you know, in Tibet, in uh, Xinjiang, uh, you know, with the Uyghurs. So I think this is a very is- serious issue and a global issue that not only touches Hong Kong people but really the global world where you see governments, they are silencing themselves because of uh, being afraid of uh, you know, political reprisal, economic reprisal
2: Lesbian canto pop star Denise Ho's demands at the 2019 UN Human Rights Council hearing in Geneva have yet to be met. After the press chilling raid at the end of 2021, she was released on bail. Its assets frozen, Stand News has ceased operations. Hong Kong's crackdown continues. signed up for our e-newsletter inside this way out we send them out every few weeks briefly reviewing recent and previewing upcoming programming and deepening the conversation about your favorite international lgbtq radio show
3: to receive the occasional inside this way out and let us know you're listening email us at info at
2: Black feminist theorist Bell Hooks died on December 15th at the age of 69. Hooks taught at Stanford, Yale, and Oberlin College and authored some 40 books. It's hard to describe what Bell Hooks brought to the table. Her close friend, Professor Beverly Guy Schifthold, made the effort on Democracy Now!
5: Her constant naming of imperial white supremacist patriarchy which can also be framed if we borrow Kimberly Crenshaw's term, intersectionality. Bell didn't use the term intersectionality. She wanted us to hear imperial white supremacist patriarchy. And later she added heteropatriarchy because she wanted to name what that was. But it is essentially the concept of intersectionality which goes back to the 19th century, black women such as Mariah Stewart, and Ida B. Wells. And so she never stopped saying it. Imperial, white supremacist, heteropatriarchy, because she wanted us to hear it over and over and over again so that we could eradicate it. And Guy
2: shifto says that love was the key that Hooks offered.
5: It might be good to remind all of us that to have Black people love themselves, that is a radical act in the U.S. context. And it's not just black women. She wanted little black boys to love themselves. She wanted little black girls with so-called nappy hair to love themselves, which is why she wrote that book about of, of being nappy. So we might think about love as a sort of innocuous, trivial, non-political project, but she knew that loving ourselves, all people, but particularly people of color, and black people in the U.S., to love ourselves is a radical political act.
2: Bell Hooks addressed the question, why choose love, at a Los Angeles Public Library-sponsored discussion in 1999. Listen to some of what she had to say.
1: How do men know love in a society where the very definition of masculinity negates the need for men to know love? Real men don't need to know love because they can find themselves through acts of power. So then what happens in our society when men, with men who seek to know love? Well, we know that a lot of men who seek to know love are crushed. They're crushed in that moment where they begin to feel and they begin to do anything that suggests not boy. You know, I I think of my own recovering addict brother, one boy in a household of six girls and the, 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 the deep concern of my father that he not be gay and if we have to crush every emotional bone in his body so we can feel like he will never be gay, that's okay because he'll be a man. He'll be a real man. He'll be a, he'll be a straight man and we'll be happy. So that that capacity to love in I, I feel like whenever I talk to men that part of what feminism has always offered to men if they embrace it as a political ethic is is a way back to themselves a, bit, a way back to the self and therefore a way back to love. And I, I feel it's such a difficult time because when I look at movies right now, I feel so many movies are anti-males loving, and we're seeing so much more of these sort of conventional gender arrangements and the level of the pornography of violence has intensified um, so many, many times over. And the sense that I often ask myself, well, what is it that says to little boys anything about how they can know love and particularly black males. I go around this country all the time and people start telling me about black males need these separate schools. They need this and they need that. And I say, I never hear anybody say black males need love, black boys need love. Now instead they act like all they need to be is little Colin Pals and they can drop the bombs on the people in Iraq and other places. And we'll say they have, they are successful. They are real men. You know, no one says they need Montessori schools, that they need anything other than discipline and punish. And we're supposed to believe that out of that are going to come this healthy group of black men. So that on all levels, I think this to me is a challenge. This is one of the failures of feminist thinking. Um, and I don't, when I say feminist thinking, I don't mean women. I mean women and men who believe in feminist thinking and politics who have failed to theorize deeply the re-socialization of boys. We can't come up with 10 feminist books for boys that are aimed at explaining to them what sexism is. There should be a book for every age group of boys, letting them know what's, what they could do, how they can be different, You know, strategies for parents. Early on in feminism, we talked a lot about this, and then it was just kind of abandoned. And if you're following the literature of children, while there's a lot of attention on boys right now, It's very patriarchal and very, you know, I think of the book, though I think it's very positive, Lost Boys or other books. It's sort of suggesting that, well, we need to pay attention to boys, but not that we, you know, people say to me, we need fathers in the home. And I say, honey, we need loving fathers, because if we have violent, abusive, patriarchal fathers in the home, we're not going to produce healthy boys. Healthy white boys, Asian boys, black boys, we can forget it. If we don't think about what does it mean for fathers to love, having fathers in the home will not change anything about the nature of boyhood and male violence. And this is so hard for people. I have been stunned by the number of progressive people who don't want to tackle this question of love and masculinity. Because I think we are still afraid to talk about what must change profoundly in this culture if males are to know love if we are to create a way of talking about males that is loving, that does not deny the essential goodness of maleness. And that's been very, very hard because patriarchal pain makes it very hard for for many of us to speak positively about men in our lives. And male behavior often makes it hard. So I see this as one of the, the terrains of future feminist thinking That to be able to go back, I mean, I was just with my best friend who's a working class, from a working class, white, dysfunctional, alcoholic, Irish background, and her nine-year-old boy, and she has written a book on mothers and illicit drugs, and we were spending a weekend together, and her little boy, who's nine, has just begun to to learn patriarchal abusive behavior um, towards women, the terrorization through silence and withholding and through, through dumping. And we were, like, thinking about, well, what can we do? Here we are, two grown women being terrorized by a nine-year-old boy. You know, how, how, do, how do we conceptualize a way where he is allowed his grumpiness, but he is not made to feel that he is entitled to dump that grumpiness on everybody else? You know, and again, think about the fact that the single mom didn't try to do it by herself. I was able to say to him, What is your problem? You know, these days, you're you're really unpleasant to be around, you're being grumpy, grumpy, grumpy all the time. What's up? And then we, we decided to try to come up with ways to get him to pause. I mean, Thich Nhat Han always t- talks about the use of a pause to be silent, you know, for a minute, to get him to think for a minute about his behavior. What am I getting ready to say? We said, if you feel grumpy, you know, you are entitled to that feeling of grumpiness, but maybe you have to go somewhere else and be grumpy, but you can't sit amidst other people having a good time and decide, "Oh, I should use my grumpiness to spoil their good time." And think about how many abusive fathers in the home that that's been their MO from day 1. If there's a peace and harmony, let me do something to fuck it up. You know, let me smash somebody, let me beat somebody, you know, let me yell or what have you. More and more, I increasingly feel that much of this behavior is learned through boy parent interactions. And through people, as Chris suggested, rewarding that interaction as what maleness is. So, unless we come up with all kinds of ways to affirm that maleness is not that, and there is nothing, while there is nothing wrong with homosexuality, The alternative to patriarchal maleness is not homosexuality, because many homosexual men have the same violence within malehood, the same script. So being gay does not relieve you from the burden of patriarchal masculinity, it may in fact intensify. So So all of those things have been what I feel as feminist thinkers we have failed to adequately theorize to turn our attention to the question of masculinity, again, but not in some way like Susan Faludi in her new book, Stift, where it's like, feminism freed women if only men would come on board. I mean, masses of women are not free. Masses of women are stuck in patriarchal thinking. So what is this nonsense that we use feminism and magically freed ourselves? Why don't these sorry, pathetic, unhappy men jump on board? I mean, it's not very enlightened thinking. because in fact, I, I think it's so much harder and deeper for us to conceptualize what does men coming to feminism look like today. We know what we thought it looked like 20 years ago. You know, all of those things to me are very deep questions for the millennia. How to, and I urge all of you who are interested in this work to do what you can to rethink.
2: That was teacher, author, activist Bell Hooks. Speaking in Los Angeles in 1999, Bell Hooks Rest in Power.
5: I believe you ought to give love a try. try. I believe that you ought to give love
2: a try. Thanks for discovering This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from John Dyer V and Sarah Montague, produced by Brian DeShazer. Special additional thanks to Brian, to the Los Angeles Public Library and the Pacifica Radio Archives. Denise Ho and Nona Hendricks performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out thanks the Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Ivana Foundation, a bequest from Christopher David Trentum, and donors James Kelly and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayat.org and on KDUR, Durango, Colorado, CFMH, St. John, New Brunswick, 2NCR, South Lismore, New South Wales, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.